here to introduce a very special guest speaker, someone that I wanted to have speak here almost a year ago, but because of scheduling conflicts and because he's a busy guy, wasn't able to. But it's actually the campus pastor of the Hollister campus. Now, we hired him almost a year ago. Uh, and it was almost a year ago, like I said, we've been trying to get him here, but he's busy away doing Hollister stuff and they're scheduling conflicts, but he's finally able to work it out so that he could be here. Now, the reason why I wanted to come up and introduce him, I had originally actually recorded a video because um, I didn't want to come up to introduce him, but I actually love this guy that much. Um, so he's a good dude. He loves the Lord, but more, not more importantly than loving the Lord. That would be blasphemous. Um, but in addition to loving the Lord, he has a massive heart for evangelism, just wants to be in the community serving and introducing Jesus to people wherever he can. Now, so you know, since he came on about a year ago, the Hollister campus has grown roughly 33% in those 12 months. Yeah. And so... Um, Tons of good, good, good problems to have. We're filling up. We have got lack of space. The second service there is packed out. We have a first service there as well. That's 845, and he was actually able to get people to go to that. Psychologically, there's a massive difference between 9 a.m., which we have first service here, and 845. If you're at an 845 service, it's like, are we, like, we going to go fishing or what? Uh, we're up too early. It's a big difference. So he pulled that off, has grown the campus, and is a good brother. So... Matt Kirkland, campus pastor of Hollister, finally here. I'm going to check. Oh, yeah, I am on. Man, it's so good to be here. Look at you guys. There are a lot of you. That's awesome. I have this dream that uh, there could be more of you. You know, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is someplace, when the Holy Spirit is someplace, what, what's going to happen? It's going to become so attractive Somebody's going to come and sit in your seat. And you're going to have to be okay with it. Amen. So, my name's Matt. Um, the, you know, the, the, it's one of those things that's like you guys are supposed to say, hi, Matt. You know, it's an, I don't know, maybe it's an AA throwback. Um, I, I do not have AA in my background. I don't know where that came from. Um, I love, I, I tell you what, I love AA. I think it's a... a Community in AA is like what the community should be like in the church. I'll just throw that out, out there. Sometimes we, we, we get lost in ourselves. Um, so I get uh, a phone call. I had applied for a job, and this was back like in July or August of 2017. And I get a call from Terry. A lot of you guys know Terry. He's been on staff here for a long time. And she says, hey, I want to set up an interview with you and Pastor Isaac and some other folks. And Eventually, that leads to another interview, and eventually my wife and I come, and um, we're here on an August Sunday morning. We all know what happens in August around here, right? We have apologetics. And so we pull in, we're sitting in the back, and we're only in here for a couple of minutes, um, and so Isaac's not teaching. He just he showed us, and then we were gone. That was my whole experience. But everything was moving so quickly. Right after that service, I came and I met with Isaac again, we sat down in his office and he offered me a job as the campus pastor at the Hollister campus, South Valley. Um, it just happened so quickly. I didn't have time to tell him I had a chihuahua. <laughs> so the Lord allowed a level of grace there and... Um, 
He forgave me. Uh, this is my family. I want to introduce you to them. And uh, my wife is with me. Her name is Amy, and she's to my right in this picture. Uh, on either side of uh, us, we have my son Sam, who's with us, and my daughter Emily. And uh, she's over in the junior high room right now and getting some good teaching over there. Uh, the two outer ones, oh, by the way, they, they, they both go to Vine Academy. They're homeschooled. I love homeschooling. I would love to come and tell you all about the virtue of homeschooling. If you're at all interested, you can come and talk to us. But um, they're homeschooled, but they go to Vine Academy. I know there's some other Viners here. Yes. Oh, thank you. Right on. All two of you. It's a great place. <laughs> Woo! Uh, it's a, it is a great place. We really love it. And then on the bookends, we have my two older daughters, uh, Caroline on your right and uh, Hannah on your left. And, oh, there's Terry. Hi, Terry. I didn't even see you over there. Um, Caroline is a junior at Moody Bible Institute, and my other daughter is a children's director, um, having just graduated from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And she is the children's director at Evanston Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois. So that's a little bit about my family, but it's not all of my family. I need you guys to know this. Um, because this last week, last Tuesday, we adopted a dog. Okay, yeah, he's cute, right? Then, by the way, this is my son's dog. I, this needs to be said. My, not my dog, not my wife's dog. This is my son's dog. And the dog keeps all of us up in the middle of the night. Yes, aren't they cute? So, sometimes, <laughs> exactly. So, this has kind of been my life recently. Uh, there's another part of my life that I wanted to invite you to be a part of. I took this picture. Uh, this picture was taken uh, in a city called Tiberias, and that city of Tiberias looks out over the Sea of Galilee, and so this is sunrise over the Sea of Galilee, and that is an actual fishing boat. There's no tourists on this little boat that are out there. They are fishing out in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I'm going to be going in October. I have some other friends from Hollister that are going to be going, maybe a few friends from Gilroy that are going to be going. I'd invite you to be a part of our trip. I'm not going to give you any more information. If you would like to know more information about uh, going to Israel uh, on a sightseeing trip in October, come and see, see me right after service. I don't want to um, hold this up very much. But this is one of the sites that we'll see. We're in a series called Practicing the Way. And the idea of practicing the way is, remember that Christians were not called Christians at first, they are called uh, people of the way, because Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, correct? So if we are people of the way, maybe we should figure out what should we be doing as people of the way, and then start doing it. So maybe we can think of what did Jesus say and do the things that Jesus said to do. And we can even take that a step further and say, what did Jesus do, and maybe we could do a few of those things. I'm not talking about miracles. I'm talking about what were the things that Jesus did that we can take in our repertoire today. And as people of the way, one of the things we need to understand is the law. Now, I don't know about you. There's, there's probably one or two guys in the room that probably are like me. My goal is to get 
to where I'm going as fast as I can without getting pulled over. <laughs> I'm sure there's nobody else like that in here. But the law is here and I'm willing to go this far past the law as long as I'm not going to get caught doing it. And so between here and Hollister, boy, I can make some great time as long as you don't get stuck behind the wrong person. But the law, this, this way that we're supposed to practice, that's not the way the Near Eastern mind thought about it. We think about laws in a very Western mindset. Whenever we open our scriptures, we should try to turn off some of our Western mindset and look and see what that Near Eastern mindset would be. And Pastor Isaac's been talking about this word, halaha. With halaha, it's, it, it's the law, but it's not the law like, man, I want to figure out how to skirt the law. I want to figure out how to live on the edge of the law and maybe go a little bit fa- further past it and then pull back. That's the Western mindset. We're talking about the law is, um, I think you guys probably got the memo, right? The memo not to sit in the front row because I spit like crazy when I'm excited. <laughs> Start talking about scripture, and I'm like, we baptize you in the name of the, never mind. The law, what, 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 did, what did the Hebrew people think about the law? Psalm 1 starts us off, you're going to meditate on it day and night. How many of you meditate on the, the laws of California day and night? If you're not a lawyer, maybe some lawyers do, maybe if you're in law school, but you don't meditate on the law day and night, I, I probably can say that with some confidence. But that's what they looked at. That's what they saw when they saw the scriptures. Remember in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is an amazing book. When Jesus uh, was confronted with three temptations, and remember, those three temptations were real. Yeah, he was God, but he was also human. They wouldn't have been called temptations if they weren't tempting. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he came back to Satan every time with scripture. And all of the words that Jesus taught that that he said in those seasons of temptation came out of the book of Deuteronomy. And one of the things that we learn about in the book of Deuteronomy is you should write those words on the doorposts of your home. In Israel, they do this. In fact, every time a Jew would enter his home, they would touch it. They, they have a little name for it. I don't remember the name for it, but it's right there. And it holds the, the commandments as a reminder. It's on their doorpost. But the psalmist would come along even a little bit later. And the psalmist would say, don't just write it on your doorposts. Write the words of God on your heart that you might not sin against God. The law is so important. This halaha is something of great, great value to the people of Israel. And so as we go through this, I want to build the stage that maybe we should be meditating on it. Maybe we should write it on our doorposts. Maybe we should write it on our hearts because that's what Jesus did. Now, when we come, one of the things that Jesus said, and this is, uh, Something that should be very familiar. I know because Pastor Isaac talked about it two weeks ago. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Now conversely, what happens? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who 
built his house on the sand. We're going to be the wise people today. We're going to build our faith and our faith foundations on the word of God and on his halaha. We are going to meditate deeply on this. But before we do that, before we really dig into some scripture, I've got some presuppositions. So if you come and listen to me teach in Hollister, you need to have an understanding of where I am theologically. So I'm going to give you a couple of presuppositions that are going to help you, and I want you to take these as your own, okay? The number one presupposition is God wants to be known. God wants to be known by you. The God of the universe that created the heavens and the earth, the God that stands high above everybody and everything, wants to be known by you in a personal way. You guys good with that? Yes, ma'am. An amen would help me right now. I don't know. I'm just saying. Just saying. Thank you. God reveals himself in lots of ways because he wants to be known. So, so, so the premise becomes he's revealing himself through his creation. How many of you park down by the beach in Aptos, you know, the place, watch the sun go down and say, isn't God good? Anybody up before the sunrise? My wife and I were up early because the dog. <laughs> and she said, look at that. And I'll come out and amazing sunrise this morning. It was beautiful. Reds and oranges and blues, and you just think, isn't God good? God wants to be known. He's revealing himself to you through his creation. Theologians like to throw words around because they got to name everything. They call it general revelation. God wants to be known through his creation, and he wants to be known rationally. This is a rational God. He wants to be known. You can look and you can deduce this world, it's not chaos. This world has order to it. And if this world has order, shouldn't there be somebody that's making it orderly? And so we can rationally decide that, yes, there is a God. And so God is choosing to reveal himself in that way. But God also chooses to reveal himself in a special way, they call it special revelation. One of those is through his word. And so when you're opening God's word, as we will today, maybe one of the questions is, God, how are you revealing your very nature to me today? And I would encourage you, as you read scripture, maybe you've never asked that question, but God is constantly wanting to reveal himself to you through his word. So as you read your scriptures, whether it be in Leviticus 19, like we'll be in just a moment, or in the New Testament, wherever you may fall, God wants to be known by you. So how can God be known without his revelation? So today I want to answer that practical question. God, how are you revealing yourself to us in this scripture? So um, Leviticus I know most of you spend a lot of time in Leviticus. I used to always make uh, my high school boys read Leviticus 15 just to give them perspective on life. If you've not read it, go home after, after church and read it. But we're going to be in Leviticus 19 today. And this is a command, a halacha. When a stranger sojourns, 
Now, now this stranger is different than some ill-willed stranger. This is a good-willed person that's coming through your village. When a, a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. When we look at this, do we think, doggone it, I don't want to invite strangers. Nobody in the Near Eastern mindset would say, oh, doggone, I don't want to do that. Because if God says so, now, some of you, when you were younger, your mom would say, hey, it's time to clean your room. Oh, no, 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 but why? And mom would say, because I said so, that's why. Mic drop, peace. <laughs> At the end of this, he says, why? Because I am the Lord your God. What are you supposed to do? Now, in Leviticus 19, there are a number of these, I am the Lord your God. There are a number of these commands, the halacha. There are a number of things that are coming out of this. But God has a special place for strangers that are in his land. Why? Well, for one, he wants to be known, even to strangers, but also because at one time, you, O land of Israel, you too were strangers in a strange land. You were strangers in a nation called Israel. And I think that there might even be a deeper meaning behind this idea that God loves strangers. Because I think God is revealing himself in his character to us by saying he loves strangers. He loves these sojourners. To God, he, he is motiv motivated by his goodness. Are you guys good with that? I hope you're good with this idea. God is motivated by his very personality, his goodness, and ultimately being hospitable points to God's goodness. And I'll show you how in just a moment. Let's look and see what the New Testament says about this. Let's look at Ephesians. So this is the letter that was written by a guy named Paul. Now Paul was the in crowd, right? He was just in the wrong crowd. And along the way, he gets in with the right crowd, with the Jesus followers. And later he writes to a church in a city called Ephesus. And this is the, the first part of that. There, there's some big ideas I'm not going to unpack, but I, uh, you'll see what I'm talking about because um, this is really important. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what it is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in, in the world. Wow. Man, at one time, you were a stranger. So the people of Israel, who are now the in crowd, all of a sudden we realized they were strangers. And this crowd now, they become strangers also. Now, um, I used to teach, uh, I was a youth pastor for 20 years, so you kind of have to excuse some of the things I do and some of the things I say. I, I used to 
try to think of ways to help things stick and connect. Uh, and so I always used to um, start out this section, these types of sections with God's got a big butt coming. Thank you for all you Beavis fans in the crowd. Because God's got the biggest butts around. The most important butt is right here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You're no longer a stranger. You're now part of the family. And the command to be hospitable becomes tightly entwined with this concept of grace. Grace says, you're a stranger, but now you're part of the family. Hospitality, which was from our earliest time in our Christian walk, as we go all the way back to the writings of Moses, the 613 laws that we find in the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, one of those laws being be hospitable to the stranger that becomes tightly woven into our grace because our, our theology of grace because we were strangers and Christ by his blood invites us in. So I want to tell you um, my butt story. Um, I didn't grow up in the church. Grew up super secular. Um, so I didn't go to church growing up at all, of course. I didn't have Sunday school. Um, I, I knew some Bible stories, but it was all the Cecil B. DeMille version of the Bible stories because I watched a lot of TV growing up. I was a latchkey child. Um, and, you know, on Sunday mornings, we would, my family, we wouldn't go to church. We would go to the flea market. That was kind of like my church. You know, good community at the flea market. Good churros at the flea market, so it's all good. When I was uh, in junior high school, so this, I'll date myself, um, this goes back to about 1980, 79, 80, about that time. And I, I was in junior high school. I was the youngest, and still am the youngest of seven. And my next older brother, his name is Chris, and Chris is about 18 months older than I am. And so I was the irritating younger brother. I was the guy that kept showing up to anything that he was invited to. I just assumed I was invited to. Come on, I was cute, invite me. I wasn't that cute. Uh, I was that irritating. Um, so he gets invited to my friend now, his friend Richard's house. And we lived in Strathmore, California. Uh, somebody in here is gonna know where Strathmore is, but 99% of you will not. Uh, Strathmore is, uh, and I usually start making larger concentric circles because uh, it, you probably, some of you in this room might know where Porterville is. Okay, great, but a lot of you know. Then I go to Visalia, and most of you in this room, oh yeah, I've heard of Visalia. Uh, if you don't know Visalia, I would just say Bakersfield, and everybody knows where the armpit of California is. <laughs> um, I grew up in Strathmore. Uh, my dad sold farm equipment. We lived on an olive ranch. We grew olives. Uh, sold uh, olives to Lindsay Olives. Some of you know, have probably eaten a Lindsay olive. And it would just be blazing hot in the middle of summer. You know, it was August 1979, 1980. 
in the San Joaquin Valley, southern part, and it was easily 110 outside. And my buddy Richard, his dad, built swimming pools for a living. So not only did he have a swimming pool, he had the best swimming pool in town. And so my brother Chris and I, I got invited to Richard's house, and uh, we swam, we barbecued some hamburgers. His mom, Dorothy, made some of the best apple pies. We had apple pie. And then a little bit later in the evening, we, we pulled out that couch, you know, the couch that had the five-ton bed that would come out from underneath it? And we all, all the guys that showed up that day, Chris and my, and my brother Chris and his best friend Chris and then Richard and I were all there, and we all piled on top of the couch. It was 8 o'clock. Wait for it. Battlestar Galactica. That's some fine TV right there. Well, we watched our Battlestar Galactica, laughed most of the night away, slept all over the place because they'd invited us to spend the night. And the next morning, I get invited, not invited, it was more like uh, uh, they held me hostage. <laughs> and uh, Dorothy would get up and she said, okay, all you guys go and jump in the pool, dry off, put on your clean clothes because our hair was really going everywhere. Go and dry off. Uh, we're going to church and everybody piles into the Volkswagen bus. You know that smell? Some of you in this room are like, I say Volkswagen bus and a smell just comes over you. It's a sweet offering unto the Lord. Um, and we get on that bus and we go to a little church, little country church down the road. I didn't get saved that day. But at that little country church, I didn't get saved because Dorothy asked me to come know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Richard never said, hey, Matt, do you want to take Jesus as your Lord and Savior? But that pastor who gave me an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, that pastor brought me to the waters of baptism. And it all started with a simple invitation for a cool, refreshing swimming pool, good barbecue, and some sweet, cheesy sci-fi TV. And, you know, that's not necessarily my whole story. My, my story continues. At that point, I probably had one pinky toe in the kingdom and kept 90% of me out of the kingdom because I'd grown up so secular. It took time. I started the journey there. But I remember being in college, and I just wasn't sure where. I remember kind of going to church once or twice when I left my parents' house. I went to Fresno State. But, man, wasn't sure about church. And I get invited to go to this college group, and this pastor welcomes me into his home, teaches a Bible study, and then we continue to never leave. Like, almost literally. He had, like, three little children, and we would stay there until midnight every Thursday night playing Monopoly or doing something completely unsacred, and yet in the midst of the mundane, God met me again. And at that point, I decided I needed to be all in. And that's, that's my journey. You see, it's a process that Jesus Christ will meet you and meet you and meet you again. But isn't it so often around a table that you have these redemptive conversations. There's another table that Jesus sat at. It was the table of a tax collector. His name, we often call him Matthew. 
Matthew also wrote the book of, the first book of the New Testament named after himself, Matthew. In this passage, we call him Levi. And it says, now Levi was the guy that uh, Jesus pulled him right from the tax collector's tables. He, he, he left the tax collector table and, and he was so overjoyed, he felt like, gosh, I gotta do something. I don't ever have to be that guy again. I, I gotta do something. I gotta show up and uh, throw a party. You know, but for a tax collector, who's gonna show up to a party? Not even the prostitutes would show up to this party. I mean, these guys were low. And so Levi Picking up at verse 29, made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Around Jesus' table, who's welcome? Then Jesus later on tells this story, this parable in Matthew 25. He says, uh, remember, this is a parable. It's not a true story. It's a story to eliminate a truth. God wants to shine some light on a truth. And this is the story that Jesus tells. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, throw back to Leviticus 19, and you welcomed me in. And then picking up at verse 38, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And then picking up at verse 40, it says, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. Who's welcome around the table? You are. And the person next to you. And the guy down the street that probably smells And the guy at the penthouse that I guarantee you doesn't smell, who's welcome around the table? Um, This is an interesting number, 52%. Um, The health insurance company named Sigma, uh, Sigma did a longitudinal study, large uh, sample group. And their goal was to seek what percentage of our population self-identifies as lonely. 52% of our population self-identifies as lonely. So uh, don't say anything. Look at the person on your right. Do they look pretty lonely? Okay, if they don't look lonely, it's you. (laughs) No, no. But we live in this, con- in this time, in this age, where we think we're so connected. Hey, but I've got 900 friends on Facebook. I'm super connected. And yet we're not connected with people. They, they're seeing study after study that's showing our lack of connectedness. I'm going to um, break it to you easily. This is, a, you guys will, I'll say this and you'll be like, duh. That number 52%, there's always a certain population group that will skew those numbers. The elderly are much more lonely 
than you are most likely. The elderly in our population are very lonely. Do you know what happens after uh, an elderly person is widowed? Maybe a phone call from the kids? Very little interaction. Um, I was talking to somebody at first service and I was, uh, they were, had lived in central Pennsylvania. And central Pennsylvania is known for the Amish community. And in the Amish community, we, my wife and I would drive through the area. It's really close to uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. The town smells amazing as you pull, pull in. It literally smells like chocolate all the way through town. Uh, and, and they actually have an amusement park at, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, so totally worth the trip, okay? Uh, and we would be driving through the Amish country and all the carriages, all the things that you typically see, but we stopped off at a place and they had, uh, uh, they were talking about, about their quilts and so on and so forth. And we asked, all of these homes had like a little home adjacent connected to the big home. So the ranch home and the little home. And we asked, well, why is that? Do they need renters? Not making the bills pay? No, no, they don't need renters. They have a doty house. And in those doty houses, as the generations move up, they move out into the doty house. And so grandma and grandpa live next door until they pass on, and then at some point, the next family will take over for that, in that position. There's connectedness just built into their society, but in our society, I, I'm gonna be, use a term, I don't mean it literally, I just mean it in a way to help us think about it. They become the big pen of our society. When we're done with them, we throw them away. And so I'm so happy that South Valley has these microsites. If you're not familiar with them, you need to get familiar with them as we are taking the gospel of Jesus Christ into these homes where elderly people get a touch. Physical touch is so important. The lies of our culture say you can't touch anything, anyone. In this culture, if you touch somebody wrong, you're going to get fired, doggone it. That's a lie of Satan. Appropriate touch is always okay. Well, yeah, I say that, and somebody's going to get fired this week. Well, our pastor said so. Um, <laughs> because our culture is hypersensitive to this. We've got to bring back this concept of appropriate touch. You know that they've done studies that show if you don't use your words... If you don't get talked to, if you don't have a conversation, if you're not using your words, you lose your words. And so this big pen population of our culture is losing physical touch, losing words because of a lack of everything that's important the way God created us. So we look at this number and say 52%. Well, okay, yeah, 52%, but there's one population that it's like 78%. So what does this all lead to? It leads to the idea of hospitality. It mattered to Jesus, and it mattered to um, the writer of uh, the, the first books, Moses. Hospitality matters. But we think of hospitality in terms of like uh, having guests over for New Year's Eve. 
No, 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 no. I, this is not the type of hospitality that is talked about because you're not going to have very many strangers. And by the way, just because you know them doesn't make, if you don't know them, doesn't make them a stranger because there's a good chance there's one degree of separation from friendship when you invite people over. I want to bring up the idea of hospitality in reference to our faith community. And I've got a couple of 101s, right? So a 101 is uh, the very beginning knowledge that you need to take a class. So when I was in college, it was 101. Now they have all these different names that you can't keep track of. But 101, 201, 301, 401, that's kind of the progression that we would take. And now this is a hospitality 101, all right? Hospitality 101, number one, learn people's names. Okay, somebody in this room right now is thinking, yeah, but I suck at that. You can self-admit, yeah, I suck at that. Okay, I get it. I do. I, I, it's, it's not the easiest thing for me. But that's a lame excuse. So what do I do? I came to South Valley Community Church, Hollister, about a year ago. My first Sunday there. And every Sunday since, my goal is to learn three new names. Try not to do it all at once. Every once in a while I have to double down because I forgot them the first time and so they need a, a, another week to hopefully I'll get them. But uh, yeah, I just go every week. The first week I learned um, Alex and Angela and Adolfo. Uh, they happened to be my staff, so that was a good thing to learn. <laughs> and then the next week I learned Debbie and Deborah and Bob, and then I learned Terry and Diana and another Bob. We have a lot of Bobs, so I'm pretty good. I just, if I'm not sure what the guy's name is, hey, Bob, how you doing? Um, there's power in a name. Remember the, the little wrestling match between the, the angel of the river, river of Jabbok? What's your name? What's your name? If I went to, uh, you know, if I went to Disneyland on one of those busy days, some of you guys have probably been there on one of those busy days, and you're going down Main Street in Disneyland, and you're just shoulder to shoulder, and let's just say I yelled out a name. I yelled out, Greg! I would just, I would have half a dozen guys turn their head. When really all, you know, I, I'm not calling that, that, I'm not calling you Greg. There's power in a name. If somebody were to be going down, a, my name's Matt, if somebody were going to be going through, and somebody yells Matt, and it happens all the time, I'm sure it happens to some of you. Matt, I turn my head. Uh, Matt Webb, uh, some of you guys know Matt Webb, he's our sound guy uh, in Hollister, and he's there three out of four Sundays. He's an amazing, amazing guy, and I love him. And, uh, but very typically, um, somebody's going to be calling for Matt on Sunday morning, and we both are constantly turning to look. There's power in a name. There's also a different level of power, and I want to bring this up super, super cheesy, but I really mean it. Turn your power on on Sunday mornings. Now, what does P-W-H-R stand for, you might ask? Never mind. You won't ask. I'll tell you. Post-worship hospitality radar. Some of you don't care that somebody's sitting in this church right now lonely. Start caring. Somebody in this room is coming, and I'm not even going to call you out. I, I tell you what, we'll open the doors a minute early. You guys can bolt for the door if you're brand new and you don't want to be talked to. But doggone it, if you're new here and nobody talks to you, no, nobody 
shakes your hand, gives you a high five, gives you a hug, whatever seems most appropriate. If nobody does that, you come to me after service and we'll have words next week with this crowd, okay? Um, I had this dream when I was uh, at a previous church that we would get in, uh, this team together and we were called the frontline team and we were gonna be the frontline, we were gonna be the ones that greeted everybody, made sure that we were the first ones, that nobody was gonna get out of church without being untouched. And we go up to somebody we, had, we didn't recognize, and, oh, hey, how you doing? I'm out. Oh, yeah, I already met. We had a gal in our church. I couldn't get to them fast enough. I mean, do you remember her name? Jean. Jean Dean. All about four foot nine. She was 95 years old, and she could get to more visitors in 10 minutes than I could in a year, I think. Her radar was so good. We, we, need, we need some people with really strong radar because somebody's going to come into this church and they're going to be hurting. And Jesus Christ is the answer to what's going on and the troubles that there's, they're dealing with. The, the anxiety of this world, remember we, we prayed for those who worry a couple of weeks ago? Worry is heavy on the people's hearts in this community. We prayed for, for, for people to forgive each other. But forgiveness is so important, so much, so part of the gospel this week, hospitality is the heart of Jesus Christ. Hospitality is the heart of God because guess what? Hospitality is grace. It's undeserved. Come and you're part of my family. So turn on your hospitality radar, even starting today. And don't forget about this next week. So, some of you, most of you, 90% of you will, even if I had Five, one, two, three, four, five. If I had six people commit to turning on the radar in each area, we wouldn't lose people out the back door on day one. Number three, um, you need to break bread with people outside your tribe. It's so easy, you know. What, 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 hang out with the people I love. Ooh, that's so hard. Maybe try something a little different. I used to uh, take high schoolers into uh, uh, downtown San, San Francisco. And uh, as part of the deal that we would do is uh, we'd tell them that they needed to go and find somebody homeless and take them to lunch. Who's welcome to the kingdom? I'm going to send out an invitation right now. It's a little bit weird. It's all good, though. I'm not super weird. Uh, after service today, I've got to, I'll be up here and I'll greet everybody that wants to greet. If you want to talk about Israel, I'll be up here to talk about Israel. Um, but after I'm wrapped up here, my family and I are going to go down to KFC on Wren, just around the corner, down first. Y'all are invited. All 400 of you, come on down. I don't care how scared they get. And this is what we do every week. My family and I um, we, we don't do KFC in Hollister. We tend to do like a we, Taco Bell takeover, and Taco Bell's just down the street. If you're ever in Hollister for worship service, come and see me after church at, at Taco Bell. You're invited. Because I want to break bread with y'all. There's something sacred about breaking bread with y'all. And uh, I'll turn the tables a little bit too. If you, if you have never been invited, although I just invited you, just saying, 
So if you've never been invited, start inviting somebody. Don't wait to be invited. You, go, invite somebody. And I don't care if it needs to be on china or on paper plates. My family is a little bit more paper plate style. In fact, we'd prefer you stay away from our house and just come and eat with us after church on Sunday. No, no, no. That's it. <laughs> but don't forget to make it sacred. Invite Jesus into these conversations. Because don't underestimate the power of your living room or maybe a table at a fast food establishment as a launching pad for new life, new hope, new ministry, new mission. This church has uh, missionaries in other parts of the world that came from this congregation. Do you know the decision to go into the mission field? I guarantee it started around a table, probably some broken bread. Hospitality matters. What is it revealing? What, what, what is hospitality revealing? Um, let me rephrase this. God is revealing himself to you in the area of hospitality. He wants you to be known, so therefore he wants you to break bread. God is revealing himself when you break bread together in those sacred moments. Hospitality matters to God. It's, it, it's built into our essential doctrine of grace. And guess what? It matters. It matters to me because this kid in Strathmore, California invited me in. Because without an invitation, without some basic hospitality, maybe, without, maybe I could have made it without the apple pie, but definitely not without the barbecue hamburgers, definitely not without the cheesy sci-fi. No. God met me through somebody else's hospitality. Who are you going to leave out of the kingdom because you choose not to? It matters. It matters. It matters. It matters to me personally. Um, I have one last invitation. If, you know, like I said, KFC, Israel, however you want to roll with that. But if you've not said yes to saying Jesus as being Lord and Savior of your life, if you're not sure about this whole Christian thing, but you're ready to say yes, the invitation needs to be very clear. Jesus Christ wants you to say yes to him because he's already said yes to you on a cross. Let today be the day that you say, yes, I'm a Christian, if you're not. We'll have uh, some prayer warriors up front. I'll let Greg give you a little more instruction about that. The son of a Jewish carpenter from a little town named Nazareth, of little importance, understood the power of hospitality. Where do you find Jesus throughout most of Scripture? Around a table. It's a powerful thing. And like Peter Parker's uncle once said, with great power comes great responsibility. I'm really almost sad that you would know that more than half the scripture I just read today, but it's okay. <laughs> Get out there. Practice the way. Let's pray. Father.
what a blessing it is to come before you. And now, Lord, as we give uh, these moments, these sacred moments to you, Lord, multiply our hearts that, that, that we would be overflowing like that uh, proverbial Psalm 23 that said uh, that, that our cups overflow and when they overflow, they flow into other cups that eventually are building and filling your kingdom. Father, thank you for the way you show your love to us. We're blessed in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you, Matt. What a great message. Thank you, my brother.